0: This past week, I finished a small little book. It's, or I finished this little book. It's called Dream Small. And it was a, it was a book that my heart really resonated with for so many reasons. It was talking about how we live in a me centered world. And so often, um, only the biggest and the brightest really get the attention of the masses. And, and what is often overlooked are the seemingly very small and insignificant choices that, actually add up to very large significant results and in the final chapter the author took one of my favorite verses in scripture and he brought a little bit of a different angle to it and so i would love to to share it with you it talks about uh how jesus is is using uh, a parable just a one verse parable to illustrate the kingdom of god this is what he says the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13 says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And there then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and, and buys that field. And this is one of my favorite passages in, in the entire New Testament. I, I just love the truth behind it. But I, I think the way the author brought it out in this in this small little book was was so different because I had always thought about the man. The man that came across a treasure and he he saw how beautiful and exciting and how How valuable this treasure was and so he he covered it back up and he ran home and he sold Everything that he had so he could take the money to go buy the field because he knew in the field There was a treasure And like I have I've preached sermons on that it's it's an exciting truth to me But the author came about A little bit of a different angle and he said could you imagine what his wife must have thought when he ran into the home to say honey sell the furniture sell the furniture what are you crazy why why would we sell the furniture if we sell the furniture what are we going to have to sit on it doesn't matter what we're going to sit on because we're going to sell the house we're going to sell the house we're going to sell the house and our furniture why because i found some dirt Well, just the way the way the author brought that that out, I thought, "Wow, that that man who knew exactly what he had found, the treasure he had seen, he must have seemed crazy to his wife, to his children, to his family, to his friends. Everybody looking on the outside, seeing this man's excitement about a treasure, it'd be so different because they hadn't seen the treasure yet." And it just got me really thinking about how we as Christians, how we've seen the treasure of Jesus, but how many of us continue to live the same way as those who have never seen the treasure? Our lives don't look that much different. Our lives don't look much much radically opposed to the way a world lives that has never seen a treasure we we should be living our lives in such a way that people look at us as christians and go what's wrong with you what's wrong with me nothing's wrong with me i've found the treasure you've you found the treasure yes i found the treasure and, and that's why i'm willing to give my money away to make other people happy i don't have to keep it for myself because i found the treasure that's why i don't have to spend my my time on only what i want to do because i found the treasure that's why i don't have to worry about my name and building my kingdom i found the treasure and i'm willing to sell everything that i have and be be done with it all so that i can simply have this treasure how many Christians live that way, though? I mean, we, we, we might look at a few missionaries who are willing to truly leave behind everything that they have and, and go to a foreign country, but why do we have to talk about missionaries that way when we as believers right here should be living in such a way that we've found the treasure and our lives are radically different? I think sometimes it's because we forget that we found the treasure and there are other things that begin appealing to our senses in second samuel chapter 18 we're going to jump right into the middle of a scene and so i've got to do just a little bit of background and tell you what's going on if you don't know the old testament well king david is or david is the king right now of israel But he's got a son whose name is Absalom and circumstances have led Absalom to round up an army to try to fight his father, David, and and Absalom's armies start coming. And when they do, David retreats from the palace of Jerusalem. He leaves the throne behind. They set up camp somewhere else. Absalom comes. Absalom, the son of David, sits on the throne. He gathers his armies and he readies them for battle and they start to attack. David is going to gather his armies, and he's not going to fight his son. But he tells his armies, before you go out to battle, here's one instruction. Take my son alive. Do no harm to my son. So, if you look in 2 Samuel chapter number 18... And we're not going to read all of this. If you were, if you were to read it, you'd find that Absalom, this, this son, during the battle, he's riding his, his battle horse and his, his long hair gets caught in some trees and he gets literally hung up in the trees by his hair. And David's general takes three small arrows and shoots those arrows right through the heart of Absalom and kills him. So, well, a few messengers that were nearby said, we've got to get this news to David. And so the first one takes off, runs to David. And you, you see in verse number 24 of Second Samuel 18, you see that, that David is waiting at the gate. He's waiting for news, what's going to happen. And in verse 29, the messenger finally gets to David. And David's first question is not about what, what, how's, what's the state of my kingdom. His first question is, what's the state of my son? But this messenger, he didn't really know what happened to Absalom. So David says, stand aside. I need news about my boy. And we're going to pick that up in verse number 31. Verse 31 of 2 Samuel chapter 18. Here's what we read. It says, and behold, the Cushite came. It's the messenger. The Cushite came and the Cushite said, good news for my Lord, the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man, Absalom? And the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king and all who rise up against you for evil, be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved, He went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died. Instead of you, O oh Absalom, my son, my son. Such a, such a tragic moment in the, in the history of the nation of Israel as King David's son is, is killed and David receives the news. And I just want to point out a couple of truths from this, this particular passage. I want you to notice the value that David placed on his relationship with Absalom. Because if you, if you go back to the very first words that the messenger says, he says, good news, may your enemies be like that man. This messenger assumed that the news that David's son had been killed would be happily received by David, but it was not. Because to David, Absalom was not his enemy. It was his son. See, the value he placed on his relationship with Asma, he, he was trying to overthrow him, but he didn't care. He loved him as a son. We see the value that David placed on his position as a father. Remember, David was king, but even as king, he abandons his throne because he's not going to fight his son. And when he hears that his enemies have been defeated, there's no rejoicing. David doesn't say, I'm still king. That's wonderful. I still have all my wealth. This is great. He says, oh, son, I wish I had died in your place. Because he knew that their father son relationship would never be reconciled again. And we see the the value that David placed on the life of his son. You notice where David is is found as we we open this up. He's waiting at the gates and he's waiting to hear news. But when he hears news about the battle, he doesn't care about the news of the battle. Step aside. What's the state of my son? He doesn't care about the palace, he doesn't care about the throne cares about the life of his son in fact if you were to keep reading and into the next chapter you'll see that some of david's own uh, appointed leaders literally had to force him to return to jerusalem and resume his position his place as king because david at that moment was was seemingly willing to walk away from it all because of the loss of his son but, but here's here's what's important and what i really want you to take away well what we're reading here is a man who had literally had it all He was was the former warrior who had defeated Goliath. He had the respect and admiration of all of the kingdom. He had the wealth and the power that the throne holds. And yet he was willing to give it all up for the one thing he had lost. A relationship with his son. And I wonder how many times we have similar scenarios played out in our lives today. And I don't mean kings and, and, and our armies going to battle, but like, as, we, as we chase and as we begin to continue to gather more and more and more stuff in our lives, we sometimes lose sight of what is most valuable until it's taken. And we can't get it back. It's one of the things that resonated with me, with, with, this, with this small little book, with, with dreams small, because it, is, it was meant to reflect, force me to reflect and, and the, the things that I am truly living for in my life. And, and it asks this question over and over and over. And it's something that I would love for you to consider as we enter a new year. Am I really investing my life in what truly matters? I know, this isn't, I know this isn't what you're going to want to hear from your pastor. I don't have goals in 2023 to see how many churches we're going to plant or how many missionaries we're going to send or how much money we can raise to build a new building. I have no goal like that whatsoever. And I know to some people, you're like, well, you, you should. I mean, you're, you're the leader of the church. You should be, should be doing that. And I, I'll tell you what my goals are. I, I desire to pastor a church where every single person embraced their position of being a disciple of Jesus and embraced the mission of making new disciples. I, I would love to pastor a church where every, every man, he simply loved his wife and he invested his time and his energy in his children. And he was present with them when they were there, and his job was not all-consuming him away from the things that are most valuable to him. I would love to pastor a church where where the women of the church, they they love their, their husbands, they love one another, they teach their children both through words and through deeds of the value of being content with what we already have been given by God and not always needing more. I'd love to pastor a church where every teenager would boldly live out their life as a witness for Jesus. Whether it's the the halls of a Christian school, the halls of a public school, the halls of your own home as a homeschooler. And wherever you go outside of those school walls, that you are simply a witness for Jesus. I'd love to pastor a church where, where members would desire to grow in their relationship with the Lord and do it together. embrace opportunities to serve one another be quick to pray with one another joyfully share the good news that we found the treasure with those who have never seen the treasure where generous support of the mission and the ministry of this church is worked into the family budget where corporate worship is actually prioritized in our schedules Where guests and unbelievers, when they come, they are welcomed with with excitement and joy. Where small groups become exciting gatherings because people who love one another get together to learn about the Savior who loves them. See, those would be my goals because I, I really think if you took those small goals that most people would think, well, that, that's, that's nothing. I think if we were to take those small goals and bring them all together, we'd find this church doing big things. We wouldn't have to be worried about how much money we were raising or losing. We wouldn't have to worry about how many people are attending in a small group or gathering together because that would all take care of itself if we were simply consumed with saying, I want to be a disciple of Jesus this year like I have never been before. I guess you could put it this way. There's, there's some people who have, a, who have a dream to change the world. I don't. I don't have a dream to change the world. But I do have a dream to help others change their world And I think that that the more that christians seek to impact their world for christ Not the world impact your world Like your family and your business And your school and where you live if you were to impact your world for christ Then the power that comes with christ will begin to impact the world The problem is, I think that so often our schedules and our priorities and our budgets and our entertainment—they they actually reflect that we are trying to work the kingdom of God into our lives rather than trying to work our lives into the kingdom of God. We want God to fit into our schedule, into our desires into our wants and the problem is when we start thinking that way we get things out of order when we try fitting God's plans into our lives rather than fitting our lives into God's plans when we we focus on building our kingdom rather than God's kingdom we become we become the consumers of our time and of our talents and of our gifts always working to make our lives better our lives more comfortable and more convenient rather than doing that for others and when we try to author our own story rather than finding our role in God's story, then what happens is we start demanding that others serve our desires rather than getting to serve others. I, I, love, I love this, again, the truth is from this one book that, that God is the author of our story. We're not writing our own story. See, if we were writing our own story, we would be the centerpiece. It'd be all about us. And everything that you do would matter to my story. But that's not how we're supposed to live. It's his story. He's the author. How do we fit into his story? Well, by serving others, not waiting to be served by others. You probably would not recognize the names Henry Brown, Gerald Franklin, John Penley, or Clyde Crutchfield. You wouldn't know who those four men are at all. You know who they are? Four laymen in my church who were my Sunday school teachers as an elementary boy those men never stood behind a pulpit those men never pastored a church but those men invested in my life so I could sometimes sometimes if, 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 the, if the centerpiece is our story then it's like well how do I get but hey maybe maybe the whole purpose of our lives individually is to invest in someone else so they get because that's what god's doing when we try to get noticed by those around us rather than realizing that god knows he perfectly knows us and he loves us and he cares for us that's when we start sacrificing lifelong joy for immediate gratification it's where we're willing to sacrifice decades of marriage for a small quick affair it's, it's 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 where we we give up our integrity and our character as a person so that we can gain a promotion at work it's where we throw away relationships that are most valuable to us so that we can look better in someone else's eyes and, it's like, it's, like, it's like we're that man of Matthew 13 who saw treasure in the field and he saw the value of the treasure, how incredible it is, but his thought was like, ah, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not willing to sell everything I have in order to have that. I'll keep it. I'll keep my house, which is going to, to eventually decay. I'll keep my car, which is going to rust out. I'll keep, I'll keep my stuff, which is all going to eventually fade away. And Paul, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Paul in Philippians chapter number three, he, he goes on and he, he, he reaches this point in his life where he, he realizes, whatever I had, oh, whatever I had, I'll count it as loss for what I can gain in Christ. Paul seems to have figured out and I'm not blaming David in this story of David and Absalom, but I'm just in using them as comparisons. Paul seemed to figure out before he lost everything what David was saying after he lost everything. I would trade it all for what I can no longer have. I think the fear is that, I think the truth is that many Christians will one day wake up to the realization that our promotions in our careers, that our accumulation of bigger bank accounts and bigger houses, our fancy cars and our fancy clothes, they just never bring the joy and happiness for which we are searching. But by the time we start realizing that, we've often lost what would. Next Sunday is January 8th. It's important for two reasons. One, it's the anniversary of me getting to stand up here as the pastor of Mount Carmel for the first time. January 8, 2017, I got to stand behind this pulpit uh, for the first time as, as your pastor. But January 8, 2008 was a very different day. It was a very tragic day for me. Our, our church youth group, when I was the youth pastor, went on a, we went on a trip, and uh, our, our purpose was to go, would take a singing group up to a large uh, I'm sorry, take a singing group up to a youth conference up in northern uh, Michigan. And we stopped along the way at a, a small little ski resort, and while we were at the ski resort, I'm skipping a whole lot of very important details, but while we were at the ski resort, lady behind me, her name is Amanda Vigneri, Amanda skied off of the path. Nobody saw her. The And our an hour later at the hospital, Amanda was declared dead. I was uh, in my early 30s as a youth pastor. Didn't know what to do. I had taken this young lady onto a bus away from her family, and I'm not bringing her home. She was a wrestling statistician for me. Her brother, her two older brothers, both wrestled for me. Her two younger brothers both wrestled for me. This was a wrestling family. I was very close to this family. We had to make a call to the parents, and you can't imagine that phone call. They drove through the night um, to get up to, to, to be with their daughter, and I met them at the, the hotel lobby and. I didn't know how. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if the dad, who I knew very well, but I didn't know if he was going to walk in and throw a punch at me. I didn't know if the mom was going to start hitting me and telling me I took her daughter and I didn't bring her home. I didn't know. But they very kindly hugged me. Their kids went into their uh, their kids went into a room to lay down while while we took off and went to went to the hospital so that they could be with their daughter's body lifeless body for for a time I sat in the waiting area for for a lengthy time and then mom and dad came back out his name is Scott and her name was Connie and Scott and Connie walked out and we got back onto the small little shuttle bus that we had used and started heading back to the hotel and I was sitting in the second row right behind Connie and Scott was right here and so Scott Connie and myself and and I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it together. I was just crying because I, I felt responsible. And Scott turned around at one point. He, he put his hand on my knee and then for about 60 seconds told me we had a conversation that I'll never forget. Actually, I should say it wasn't a conversation. He spoke for about 60 seconds. Never forget. And he put his hand on my knee and he, he said, Brian, you can't, you can't do this to yourself. I just shook my head like I I, I didn't even want to look at him. I just shook my head. He said brian This isn't your fault He said It was a friday that we left. He said he said this morning Or yesterday morning He said yesterday morning The lord told me something was going to happen to amanda on this trip He said I never would have thought it would have been this But I, I thought when the phone rang I thought something happened to amanda He said, of course, I didn't expect this, but he said, you know, let me tell you what took place yesterday morning when I dropped Amanda off. He said, I I normally don't take the kids to school, but for whatever reason, I told my wife, I'm going to take Amanda to school this morning. So he got in the car with his daughter and it was just the two of them and her stuff was in the back and he pulled up right outside where the shuttle bus was and he said I I lit- I just stayed in the I stayed in the car and let her jump out and she jumped out and raised the hatch to to grab her bag and her sleeping bag and she put it down and she he said through the back of the car she said to me daddy I love you and he said I love you too Amanda and he shut the door And he was ready to turn off except she had she had run around to the passenger side and knocked on the window and he rolled the window down thinking something was wrong and she said, Daddy, I just want to tell you I love you. And he's like, okay. I love you too, Amanda. He said, I was, I was putting the car in gear and she ran around the front of the car and she ran all the way over and she opened up my door and she reached inside and she gave me a hug and said, Daddy, I love you. He said three times yesterday morning my daughter said she loved me and then he said these words he said brian i know i love my daughter and she knew it too and i know my daughter loved me he said everything that we wished we would have said to one another we've already said and then he said this i have no regrets i have no regrets I'm not. that doesn't mean his heart isn't aching and breaking it didn't mean that but it meant my daughter is gone and and i have no regrets now let me tell you a little bit about this family and i know we're running out of time but this this, this is a family that didn't have much they had seven kids It's a lot of mouths to feed and they were going to a Christian school. That's a lot of tuition to pay. And when we'd sometimes go to McDonald's, they would sometimes sit in the car and eat a peanut butter and sit on the bus and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because they couldn't afford to go to McDonald's. That's the kind of family we're talking about. They didn't have much. They didn't have the nicest of clothes. They didn't have the newest fashions. But this man said after losing his daughter... I have no regrets. You compare that to what David says. When his son is lost, this man who had everything and he just said, oh, I would give it all for you. The church, what are we really focused on? What really drives our attention? What really gathers what our desires truly are, and I just—I'll finish by saying this: when I look at this story of David, and when I look at what the story of Christ, I see that David would have given all to save his son. This is how good our God is. He gave us. He gave His son to save us all. And and how David viewed Absalom as a son, not his enemy, but but as Romans chapter 5 tells us, God turned from his son to us to embrace us as his enemies. And and we see how Absalom wanted his father's throne and his father's glory, but Jesus abandoned his throne as a way of glorifying his father. It's no wonder Paul says in Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so as we head into 2023, may we focus on what is truly important, church. May we have the mind of Christ by loving God supremely in all that we do, in little ways of obedience, but with everything that we have. That we love our family more than we love our jobs, more than we love more money, more than we want more stuff. Love your family. Spend time with them. Be present with them. Turn off the TV. Put down the social media. Get your phones out of the way and spend time with one another. You, you will have all the time in the world you want to get on your phone when your kids are gone. Be with them. Love your Christian family. Care for one another when you know there's a need. Immediately step in and say, How can I help? That's why we have a church. Not so we can come together on Sunday morning and sing, We're not here for this, we're here for one another. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little passionate there, but. And love your community. You found the treasure. If you know Jesus, you found the treasure. You found it. Go tell other people about it. No matter what the cost is, you have the treasure. You're never going to lose it. He's taking you as his own. Now go love your community by being involved in the needs that they have and showing the love of Christ to them. I'm sorry if I got a little bit Excited there at the end. I didn't plan that. But may we be a church. Who loves our God. Who loves our families. Who loves our brothers and sisters in Christ. Who loves the community around us. Because that's what Jesus did. Would you pray with me? And we'll close. I singing shout to the Lord this morning. Our Father. Man, I read this and my heart is just gripped. I, I, I've witnessed firsthand a man who didn't have much, but who felt like he had it all. And yet, I, we also read this morning of a man who had it all, but he'd give it all up for what he was losing. Lord, may we be a church. May we be a church whose focus is placed squarely where it needs to be, and that's on the person of Jesus to love God. And as we begin to love God, we will, we will learn of God's love for others and we will love others rightly. Lord, help us to be the kind of church that you want us to be this year. I don't, I don't really care if anybody knows. I don't really care if anybody sees. May we just be a church full of disciples who want to make new disciples because that's what you've called us to do. And may we start in our world. May may we love God. May we love our families. May we love our church. May we love our community. Because that's what you would call us to do. Church family, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to give you just a few moments. And I'd love for you just to simply reflect. Is there anything that that needs to change as we enter this new year? Is there anything in our life that is, it's just, it's just out of focus? I realize there's, there's so many things that I would regret if, if something were to be taken from me right now. And I don't want to live with regret. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you don't know Jesus as the one God sent to deliver you from your sins, that's the first step. We'll stand and we'll sing in just a moment, shout to the Lord and and just realizing that it it is our call to Christ that is supremely important to us. And while we stand, I'll stand down front here and I'd love to pray. If somebody wants to pray together, I'll pray with you. But Lord, would you continue just to work in our hearts? Would you give us the mind of Christ and the heart of God And a life that shows others what it truly means to say, I found the treasure. I found found the treasure. And it's worth everything. May we live that out for those around us. And for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's close.